All right, why don't you turn to Acts chapter 20, please. Acts chapter 20, we're going to look at verses 19 through 21. The message is entitled, The Heart of Paul. And this is part four of this little mini-series. In our study of Paul, we have examined him from three vantage points so far. We have looked at the results of the light-transforming experience of Paul on the Damascus Road in Acts 9, verse 1 through 31. And uh, we saw his conversion, his commission, and his consecration. We also focus on the apostleship of Paul from three vantage points. Uh, Paul the apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul the apostle by the will of God, and Paul the apostle for eternal life. And then we saw Paul from threefold picture of his life. Paul the missionary, Paul the author, and Paul the martyr. So it's given us a good, there's so much material about Paul, just an incredible man. For our last study of Paul, we want to look at his perspective regarding ministry. In particular, the pastor's priorities regarding the gospel. And is recorded for us as he speaks to the Ephesians for the last time, the elders, in Acts 20, verse 19 through 21. Paul the Apostle, as you know, has spent three years in Ephesus. And his uh, plans to remain uh, was to, at, till Pentecost. They were altered. And uh, he began to make his journey back to Jerusalem by way of Macedonia and Greece. Now, the plot by the Jews to kill Paul continued, and it revealed a hatred both for Paul and the gospel. But Paul continued on with his call that God had given to him in his life. Nothing could stop him short of death. He's an incredible individual. It would be interesting to meet Paul in heaven. Now, Paul didn't want to waste time or be delayed by stopping at Ephesus. And so he purposely sailed beyond Ephesus to Miletus and called the elders of Ephesus to come and to meet him there for one last time. And he tells us this in verse 17 here of chapter 20. When the elders arrived in verse 18 from their 30-mile journey, Paul declared to them that they knew the manner of life He had always lived among them from the first day that he had come to Asia. And he had used his life as an example to preach and teach them the gospel they already knew. He reminds them he was a pastor. Paul the Apostle did not believe his life could be contrary to the gospel if it was going to have an impact upon those he was ministering unto. Very, very clear. He makes this. Paul the Apostle tells the Philippians says, That which you see and do, and me do, and the God, you'll please the God that you serve. And so now we're able to live the life of Christ. Before we couldn't, but now we're born again, and there is a potential and capacity to glorify Jesus Christ. Now, this last discourse here in verse, verses 17 to 35 of chapter 20 um, It's to these elders that contains some of the most valuable material in the entire New Testament regarding the nature of the pastor's ministry to the church. And I think it's important in view of what's going on in the church today at large, particularly in the United States. So I want to take um, the first section that provides for us the priorities of the pastor, revealing the heart of this pastor regarding his service in the gospel And it is threefold here from verses 19 to 21. Let me read our text. 
He says, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials that happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the threefold evidence here revealing the heart of this pastor regarding the ministry of the gospel. First, the evidence is service to God, verse 19. As a pastor, his first priority was service to God. Secondly, service to the church, verse 20. And thirdly, service to the sinner, verse 21. Let's begin here with the service to God. Verse 19, now man must serve God before he can serve man and be a partaker of his own fruits. This was David's counsel to his own son Solomon before he died. Listen to what he says in 1 Chronicles 28, 9. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord Yahweh searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Wow. When God speaks, he speaks clearly. He's not exaggerating. He's not trying to intimidate us. He's warning us. Paul in 2 Timothy 2.6 says that uh, the husband must first be partakers of his fruit. You cannot give what you do not have. If you're going to give the measles to somebody, you've got to have them. Okay? Let's begin here. Notice the service to God is of a complete commitment. The first part of 19. Three words in the English. Serving the Lord. The service is after the nature of a bond slave. The text tells us one who serves his master for life by choice. None of you are forced to serve God. You came in this morning by yourself. The angel bus didn't come by and grab you by the hair and throw you in the bus. You made a choice. The word for serving is dulo, and meaning a slave, and simply to do service. The word appears 25 times in the New Testament, and 17 times it's ascribed to Paul. The Apostle Paul, in fact, uses the word for a bond slave, dulos, 21, 29 times for himself. This is what he considered himself. He used to be someone great. Impressed people, the top of the food chain in Judaism. Now, he was a servant of God by choice. Uh, the word for serving is used um, to describe the believer who should serve in the newness of the spirit. Not in what we can do, not in who we think we are, but the newness of the spirit through the new birth. In fact, Paul the Apostle in Romans 7, 6 says, But now we have been delivered from the law having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Now, he's addressing the Jews directly there because the letter, it says, kills, the Spirit gives life. Now, many people teach that you don't want to study the Bible because it kills you. No, no, no. It's the law because the law accuses us and says you're guilty because the requirement of the law is perfection. Any takers this morning? So the law was only a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So we have to serve in the newness of the letter through this new birth, a new mind, a new heart, the new gifts of the Spirit, the new direction of God. The service has no rival 
It is loyal and faithful. The word is used by Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount in 624 when he says, No man can serve two masters, for either we will hate the one and love the other, or else they will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Man and money are so common to use that word together. Now, you know, as you were growing up, whether in high school or junior high school, you couldn't like two guys at the same time or two girls at the same time. One's going to win out. And when they find out, they weren't too happy about it. Complete commitment to one person, Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen. Not your pastor, not your church, but Jesus Christ. Very, very important. The word is used of the servant's uh, service to his master as Jesus Uh, And Paul speaks about it constantly. But Paul, through his epistles, he says, With goodwill, doing service, as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Ephesians 6, 7 through 8, and Colossians uh, 3, 23 through 24. So the vertical is the most important. It's first you and God, me and God. That's the priority. Then the horizontal will be effective. So it's the service to God. First of all, here as a pastor, but also for any one of us. Now, notice the service to God is to have proper perspective. He goes on to say, with all humility. The service is not due to one's own ability, as we've said, but one who is called and enabled by God. Paul the Apostle gives us all his accolades in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 on down to 11. And he says, you know, born of the tribe of Judah, you know, circumcised the eighth day, um, Pharisee of Pharisees. You know, he just smoked his contemporaries. He says, all these things are a pile of manure, fertilizer. They cannot justify me before God. They cannot present me. I am presented by the justification of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Wow. Paul called himself the chief of sinners in 1 Timothy 1.5. Paul recognized that he was what he was by the grace of God in 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul referred to himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, never of Rome. Many, many passages, Ephesians 3.1 is one of them. He was there by appointment. He tells the Philippians, they thought that the gospel was over, Paul's going to die. He said, hey, listen, by the way, the Praetorium Guard, the elite protectors of Caesar, they say hi, they've accepted the Lord, some of them. I'm here by appointment. Wow. Do you realize that today's the best day of your life? Because it's the next day of your life in Christ. No matter what happens, it doesn't depend upon your emotions, your feelings, the good, the bad, nothing. This is the next thing God has for you. And you're able to handle it if you look to God and you trust His Word. The service is to the Creator of everything that exists, not mortal man. Today, man has turned to the goodness of man and the abilities of man. And really, the whole problem is because of man. <laughs> But yet they blame God, right? I'm sure people blame God for this fire up here and for the thing in Texas, right? But God didn't do this. There's natural order that goes on. Now we know God judges every day. Romans chapter 1 tells us that. We just don't know where, but God is judging. But to accuse God of all these things is just, again, they don't believe in God, but they blame God when things happen, right? If you don't believe in Him, why are you even saying it? It's kind of an insult to yourself, isn't it? You're accusing something you don't believe in. Wow. The service acknowledges privilege and favor, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, No wonder David said, Lord, who am I 
that you should consider me. Second Samuel 7.18. Have you ever stopped and thought God's consideration towards you? You know yourself better than anybody else. If you were God, would you take time for you? He's different than us. Altogether. Thank God. The service acknowledges responsibility and accountability as a pastor. Paul, when he was apprehended on the Damascus Road, the first thing he said is, you know, what would you have me, your servant, to do, Lord? Acts 9, 6. Immediately he knew he was different. Immediately he was transformed, a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit, a new nature. Immediately. Like it happened to you when you accepted the Lord if you're not playing games. Peter puts it this way, the servant of the Lord must not must be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, he gives grace to the humble. And therefore, we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us in due time. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6. But as a Christian, we must work our way down to be on top. It's an upside down pyramid. In the world, you fight your way up and you're on top. You got to knock everybody else that's trying to get over you. You become the servant of all. The world thinks you're foolish. God thinks you're great. It's a whole different kingdom. Notice the service to God is not easy, but at times difficult. He says, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. His tears were not for himself. Take note of that. But because of his love for his fellow Israelis, he even was willing to be a curse from God for Israel, as he says in Romans 9, 3. That's an incredible statement. Now, I'm not willing to go to hell for you. I haven't gotten there. Paul says, I'm willing to go to hell if you accept Israel. Wow. Moses said, if you can't blot their name, if you can't forgive them, blot my name out of the book of life. Wow. Two incredible men. He cried many tears, not just a few Unless we are willing to accuse Paul of embellishing and lying here, we have to take this literal. He's speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He cried for the rebellion against God and not against himself. Too often we take the rejection and rebellion of people offensively, personally. Listen, you didn't die for them. You weren't crucified for them. It's not your gospel. You're simply the proclaimer. Remember when the Israelis wanted a Saul as a king? And Samuel got all upset, and God says, Sam, hey, what are you getting all tweaked about? They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Oh, okay, Lord. So we have to be reminded all the time. He cried for the lost condition, having come to his own. Christ had been rejected and crucified by the Jews. Jesus cried for them, weeping over Jerusalem, even as Paul cried over their blindness. But he knew that God would one day bring in the remnant again, the book of Acts, the book of Romans is very, very clear um, that this is going to happen. But they rejected Jesus at first. Jesus wept over them. So when someone rejects your witness and your proclamation, don't take it personal and don't get offended. Continue to pray for them. You cannot force anybody into heaven and you can't scare people on their way to hell. It has to be the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? But you have all the right to go to hell if you want to. But you don't have to go there. Okay? If you don't know Jesus Christ, I want to tell you how to get to heaven before we're done here. Okay? Very important. 
His trials were constant from the Jews since Paul was as zealous for Christ as he was with Judaism. Now, do you remember how zealous you were to live for sin? I remember. I used to party from Friday to Sunday. Sometimes I wouldn't even sleep. Rarely eat real good. Am I as zealous for Christ that same way? Wow. The Spartan mother giving her son his shield when he was going to battle would say, quote, Son, either this or upon this. Should we do any less for the gospel and for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as Christians? If we're not willing, then we're insulting the blood of the martyrs who went to the stake and died praying for the ones who were burning them alive. For the early Christians that were tossed to the lions and all the martyrs of the church. Wow. Sadly, too, um, much service today is rendered to God without a complete commitment. Having a divided heart, as Hosea 10, 2 says in many other scriptures. Uh, having ulterior motives, and Hebrews four twelve says that God knows the intent and the thoughts of the heart. He knows everything. Having one's will in mind rather than God's will in mind. And Paul rebukes the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. They don't, it says, put on the mind of Christ. They were self-willed. At times, the service to God begins with humility and very progressively moves to um, pride and self-exaltation. I've seen this in the 44 years I've walked with God. As, you know, I wasn't raised a Christian. I, I got born again during the Jesus movement and, and even from the beginning of the Calvary chapels and everybody was just down to earth and cool and calm. And through the years, uh, uh, you've got those who began small. Now they're too big. Their head don't even fit going outside the door. We're not the only generation. This happens every generation, ladies and gentlemen. They forget that all that they have been recipients of, God has done it, not them. They have left their first love. Revelation 2, 3, he warns the church of Ephesus, I have one thing against you. You've left your first love. You as a husband and wife, you leave your first love, your wife, your husband, because you're not cultivating it, you start roaming and looking around and pretty soon things start looking good somewhere else. It's real simple. We're bad to the bone. You must abide. You must cultivate. You must stay in love with Jesus, man. More, forget your pastor. Forget the church building. You stay in love with Jesus, everything will work out. Okay? That's the important thing. They lose perspective that they are the mere vessels of God that has placed this treasure in this earthen vessel, that the excellency may be of God and not of themselves, Second Corinthians 4, 7. That was, that was the, the, the secret to Gideon. The pitcher, lantern inside, the trumpets, everybody blow the trumpet at the same time, break the vessel so the light can be seen. People are so enamored with the vessel, they don't want the vessel broken. They want people, so they... If they take all the glory. Listen, we must be broken so that people can see the light of Jesus Christ. People don't want to see you. People don't want to see me. We should present Jesus Christ clearly. You've ever seen shower doors that are translucent and clear? Okay? The transparent and translucent, two different things. Transparent, you can see everything. Translucent, you know there's something back there, okay? 
Be clear. Let Jesus be seen. Don't obstruct the view. Let Jesus take care of it completely. Seeming difficulties and having to go through them will more than often produce more quitters. Like Demas than conquerors like Christ. 2 Timothy 4.10 The Christian life is one that calls for discipline of courage. 2 Timothy 1.7 says the difficulties of life are many, as well as the temptations to take us from Christ rather than to make us courageous, abiding in Christ Jesus. In John fifteen five, Jesus says, abide. Once again, 1 John 27, 29 times, abide, abide, abide. Now, you're pretty cool in here because you're abiding in the sanctuary. If you don't abide in the sanctuary, you're going to be sweating like a piggy. Okay? Abide. Abide in Christ. There's the protection. Don't see how far you can get out and over the fence before you're out of the yard. Stay right close to Jesus Christ. The mind of the world will give us slogans like, uh, you've seen the bumper stickers in years past, no God, N-O. The Bible says, no God, K-N-O-W. The fear of God. It's much better to know the fear of God than to say there's no fear of God. One will do incredible things for you. The other one will just destroy you. The pastor's service is first to God then, right? There's the vertical axis. That's the pastor's priority. My priority first is to God, not you. To live for him. To trust Him. To look to Him for everything. Then the horizontal will work out. He moves to his second point. Service to the church in verse 20. Once man is serving God, then and only then will he be able to serve man effectively. And that's important. The service to the church is in view of the benefits to the people. Listen to his words. And how I kept back nothing that you that was helpful. So here Paul the Apostle is very, very clear. He did not keep back or withhold anything that was spiritually profitable or even a materialist we're going to see for them as his pastor there at Ephesus. Um, he will tell us in verse 34 that um, he provided for those that were with him through laboring with his own hands. He was a tent maker, as you know. In verse 35, um, he will tell them that he did, did it to give them an example of... Um, how to support the weak, fulfilling uh, the saints of Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. He used his own finances to support himself and others in the ministry. In First Thessalonians, he writes to them in chapter 2, verse 9. He says, for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. And that's to the point of exhaustion. Um, that for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. So Paul worked during the day and supplied for those, and then he ministered to them. Amazing example, this man. In verse 26 and 27, Paul gave to them all the counsel of God without any reservations. Today, many pastors are not teaching all the Bible Chuck Smith's son-in-law says we shouldn't preach the Old Testament in Sunday morning. Really? 
You guys know Chuck is there, right? Things have changed. It only takes one thousandth of a second for a person to deviate. You don't need a week, you don't need a month, you don't need a year, you don't need a decade. You just need the opportunity. That's all you need. In verse 26, therefore he was innocent of the blood of all men. That's quite a statement. The reason was that he had not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. The whole scriptures. Now when he's saying this, you know there's no New Testament, right? It's Genesis to Malachi. And the New Testament books are starting to be written. But it includes the New Testament at this point because we have the whole counsel of God. So we're to teach all of it. Now, this was a very warning, the same warning that God gave to Ezekiel as he was the watchman on the wall in Ezekiel 33, 1 through 6. He said, if you don't warn the people, uh, their blood, I'll hold you responsible for them. Paul the Apostle is quoting this. God will hold every pastor responsible who does not proclaim the whole counsel of God, warn the people, teach the people, and proclaim sin and repentance from the pulpit. Am I clear? To those that much is given, much more is required. James says, let there not be many teachers, to them will greater judgment. All right? The reason our nation is in the shape of sin primarily is because of disobedient pastors. Pastors that are not believing and teaching the whole word of God. And so it went on to the educators, and the educators became indoctrinating people rather than teaching people. And you get rid of God, Satan disappears, all of a sudden you've got a humanistic society that turns upside down and very, very destructive. And here we are. Wow. The purpose of the church, as you know, is to equip the saints in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body that they might come to a mature state, that they'd not be children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, deception, for speaking the truth and love, that every member do its part for the edification of love. Your fingers attached to your hand, your hand to your wrist, your wrist to your elbow, the shoulder, all your body. You ever see an athlete bandage? How in the world did he not fall? They're receiving messages from the head, every part of the body working together, coordinating, efficient, That's what we need to do as Christians. The shepherds of Israel were charged with feeding themselves instead of the people of God. And he would require it at their hands, Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10. God was very clear. Notice Paul gave of himself wholeheartedly. He clearly understood the the danger as well as the hostility. Listen to his words. And see now. I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But now, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 23 and 24. This man's done with the ministry of Ephesus. He knows he's going to Jerusalem now. He knows bad things await him. He's not moved by them. He cares about finishing the course, the race, the call that God has on his life. He cared not for his own life, but for the church. In fact, when he writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 28, he says, For the Jews five times I receive forty stripes minus one. 40 is judgment, 39 is mercy. Aren't they nice? Um, Once I was stoned, stoned with rocks, not, okay. Um, Three times 
I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleepness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides all the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Wow! He exposed his personal infirmity so that people would not look to him or think he was some superstar, someone better than them. Listen very carefully, Second Corinthians twelve seven through 10. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure concerning these things, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, and knees, and persecutions, distresses, that Christ, for Christ's sake, not his own, Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is talking about you. About me. That whatever God allows to come into your life, whatever he brings or permits, even some of the stupid things we do, if we trust him for his grace, it will be sufficient. Are we clear on that? People are preaching a different gospel today, ladies and gentlemen. They lean to psychology, sociology, and all this new age stuff. And the emergent church is redefining the church, Christians, and pastorship, and the scriptures. Be careful. He told the Corinthians how his position was that of a spiritual father for spiritual children. That he would gladly spend and be spent for their souls. But the more he loved them, listen, the less he would be loved. 2 Corinthians 12, 14 through 15. If you're going to be a servant of God, you must, you must put this scripture in your heart. If you're a parent, you know what Paul is talking about. As you raise your children, they're going to get to a point somewhere along the line. Many, many times they think you're the worst parent. You just hate them. You're just there to destroy them. The more you love them, the less you be loved. And we're the same way. You serve God in faithfulness, never pleasing the people. People will applaud you today. Tomorrow they'll tar and feather me. I've been around for 44 years. <laughs> you please the Lord. He was as gentle as a nurse to the Thessalonians, imparting not only the gospel but their very lives in First Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8. And they had a rough time there in Thessalonica, remember. Now notice the service to the church was also personal. He says, but proclaiming it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. So the apostle Paul always went to the public synagogue and the marketplace always to proclaim to the Jew and the Gentile the good news of Jesus Christ, the word. We go... To to the streets on Sun on Friday night, Saturday night, all in Pasadena. When we were in Alhambra, we covered all Alhambra door to door. We 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 start missions the first step out of here to those that are in the streets. It's important. Now the apostle always went there, and 
Paul spoke boldly in the synagogue for three months there at Ephesus, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God in Acts 19, verse 8. And Paul then withdrew himself after they spoke evil of the way. The way is Christianity. Jesus said, I'm the way. And they departed with disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus in Acts 19.9. This is his ministry at Ephesus. And Paul continued for two years so that all who dwell in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks, Acts 19.10 tells us. That's amazing. Now, we covered Alhambra door to door, all of it, in the six and a half years we were there. Now, I can't tell you that we've covered all of Pasadena in the years that we've been here. Okay? This is an incredible statement. Fervent servant of the Lord. Paul followed the example of Jesus who taught in the synagogue of Nazareth. He went to the Jew first. He was sent to the Jew first. He followed the example of Jesus teaching publicly everywhere in the temple, out in the fields, wherever it was. The apostle Paul ministered from house to house also. This was the practice of Paul at Ephesus. Synagogues was first, the Jew because that was where the study of God's word was. And synagogues excommunicated Jews who embraced the gospel. They considered them as dead. Today a Jew, if an Orthodox Jew becomes a Christian, they have a funeral for him, the family. Okay? Absolutely. Paul was, his practice was to preach the gospel, Jew and Gentile, wherever he went. He did it at Philippi as he went to the house of Lydia, and baptized her in her household in Acts 16.15. He did it in the house of the Philippian jailer. As he baptized him and his family. As they preached the gospel and they received it. Now Paul. He pulled out his passport. When he came time to appeal to Caesar. But he didn't pull out his passport. His Roman passport. When he was thrown in jail at Philippi. God told him when to and when not to. He suffered those things for the sake of the gospel. He was a faithful servant. This was after the example of his Lord Jesus Christ as he taught from house to house. Um, Remember the house of Simon the Pharisee, Zacchaeus, Mary, Martha. So Paul, following this example of Jesus, taught in the house of uh, where there was publicans and sinners. Remember the Pharisees kind of objected that in Matthew 9-11. He followed the example of Jesus who even taught in the house of Simon the Pharisee in Luke 7, 36 through um, 50. He said to um, Simon, one time he says to Simon, uh, uh, there's this parable, you know, and he gave two debtors, they owed pennies, the other one's millions, and the master forgave them both. Who, who's going to love the most? He said, the one who has forgiven the most, rightly said. He said, do you see this woman? Simon just saw a prostitute. She loves much because she was forgiven much. Woo, nailed him. Just nailed him cold. This was Paul. Like his master. The service to the church was clearly not in church buildings at first. It was in houses. The day of Pentecost they met in the upper room in Acts 2. The apostle Peter went to the house of John Mark's mother being released from prison by the angel in Acts 12. And the epistles confirm that they met in homes 
Romans 16, 5, 1 Corinthians 16, 19, and many, many other areas. This church began in a home over in Hidalgo Street in Alhambra, 1980. Began in March. Three people, and God raised up a church. Alexander McLaren, as the pastor, refused most invitations and concentrated on studying the word for feeding his people. Uh, he was not a visiting pastor, and he repeatedly challenged the adage that, quote, a home-going pastor makes a church-going people. So he remained ministerial as a student for the advantage uh, for his people. And when the people came to church, he said, they would receive something worth coming to hear. As I hear some people in the radio teaching, I know they don't study. They just talk, they tell some jokes, little stories, motivational speakers. If you're not giving people the word of God, ladies and gentlemen, you're giving them poison. You're giving them no hope. Yeah, you don't come to hear me. You come to hear the word of God. You come to hear God's voice for the things you're going through, the difficulties, the questions, wisdom for your children, for your husband, for your wife. That's why you come to church. And I'm here for the same reason. Too often men in the pulpit today, as I said, develop, um, they don't develop their gift of their call or study to benefit the people. They're bad students, so they're bad, they're worse teachers. They provide um, many, as Joseph, as I said, stories, whatever it may be, statistics, information, but they do not expound the text. We must first know what it meant to the people of that day. That letter, whatever it is we're studying, was written to a people, to a set time, a set culture, a set problem, and we must find out what it meant to them. Once we understand what it meant to them, then we can make applications, sometimes straight across, sometimes in principle. The Corinthian ladies had to wear a veil, right? Because Aphrodite's the temple was there, and the ladies uh, came down at night and sold their goodies, right? They were temple prostitutes. And Paul says, listen, you're going to be confused. And the women, Christian women were saying, oh, we're going to leave our veil down. We're free. He says, listen, put the veil on. They're going to confuse you for a prostitute. You're going to dishonor your head your husband. That's why he said it. Now, we don't have a temple of Aphrodite, so we make it in principle. Ladies, honor your husband. How you speak. How you con con uh, conduct yourself. How you dress. In principle. Now, if they put a temple of Aphrodite, I'm going to tell you, ladies, put your veil on. All right? Simple. All right? Now, not that any of these things are, are not legitimate, the commentary stuff like that, but we first must know the interpretation of the text. Today, there are too many who only minister to the selective audience, being um, respecters of persons, as James prohibits the teacher to do in chapter 2, verse 1. It's a strong warning. Some will only take speaking engagements that have large numbers in their church, or they won't go. Never smaller ones. Or if they get a, an invitation and they agree upon it, and then they get a second invitation down the road, which is a bigger audience or money, which is worse, then they drop the other guy. Do, do they not know that God is looking, listening, and seeing them? They're lucky. doesn't fry them. Wow. Too many have um, never been involved 
in or led a small Bible study in their own house or anything, a one-on-one or something like that. Wesley was called the Methodist. That's what they were called because he was so methodical in the study of the Word, in prayer, confessing of sins to one another, and visiting the orphans and prisoners. Very, very methodical. Incredible, man. Today, um, this is still needed. Be it in a small Bible study groups, ministry, that's why we break up on, on uh, Tuesday night. The women meet in here, the men upstairs, the kids in the gym. But we meet as a congregation on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Thursday for in-depth studies. And so we try to make that. And we've done some home studies, sometimes home studies, but whichever way it works, but you're there to meet the need of the people. The church here is only as big as you allow it to be. When you come in, you should be able to know 40 to 50 people within time. And God will join you together, your children, your families, all of that. I'm not here to, this is not harmony.com, okay? This is not a meat market, okay? This is a church of God. This is not a campus, okay? This is a church of Jesus Christ, okay? But don't ever call it a campus like the emergent church does. My Bible says church, ecclesia, called out, all right? Not a campus, okay? Don't redefine the words of the Bible and redefine the church or Christians or anything else. Just go away. Stay to the word. Today, there are too many pastors that are absent from the pulpit. They become celebrity speakers everywhere, conference speakers. Now, there's nothing wrong. There's a place, but you have to be careful. You have first your first responsibility to the, sh- to the people of the church who God has given to you. That's your priority. I leave here maybe three, four conferences that I do a year, and I've always done them, but I'm, I, I, I don't go otherwise. People ask me to speak on Sunday. I never leave my Sunday. In fact, I left my Sunday maybe for the first or maybe the second time just about two months ago because Terry Lebel's wife was diagnosed with cancer. It was Friday night and he didn't have any. So I went out there and I did the services. But you are my priority. Just like you at home, it's your wife and your children. If you can help the neighbor, I'll be there. But your priorities have to be set, okay? Today, there's too much pride, too much money, and too much junk going on within the church of Jesus Christ. So the pastor's service is secondly to the church. Once the vertical is right, my service to God, then the church comes in, the people. Third and last, service to the sinner. Look at verse 21. The pastor is not only a servant to the saint, but to the sinner also. The service is to sinners is to be without partiality. Listen to his words, testifying to the Jew and also to the Greek. So the Jew first, then the Greek. The responsibility is great. First to the, Greek, to the Jew, why? They received the laws. So the Jews were, were giving the promises of God uh, from Abraham to Malachi, and then the, to the Jew were committed the oracles of God, Romans 2, 3 says, and Jesus said that he came to his own, his own received them not in John 1, 11. So the Jew was first in terms of privilege and responsibility, not superiority, for he was saved not by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So the Jew first, is privilege and responsibility, not superiority, okay? Never. They're sinners just like anybody else. The Greek was next being the recipient of God's grace apart from the law, 
Notice that. The promise of the Gentiles or Greeks was through the promise of Abraham, as I said. And in him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Genesis 12, 3. That's still available today and it's applicable today. God says, those that bless you, I will bless. Those that curse you, I will curse. Do a, do a study in all the nations that have ever gone against Israel. Start from Hitler on in modern times and see where they're at today. You might observe England. They used to boast about the sun not going down their empire. Now they're just one little island because they were the worst example towards Israel and they were treacherous, especially coming out of the British mandate when they, in 1948, when they gave Israel back the land. They prepared already the attack of Israel through the Arabs. Whoa. Let me give you a little example. Someone comes over and befriends your son or daughter and they just are snowing you all along and then they try to betray them. Do you have warm fussies for them or do you want to take their head off? God knows it all along, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Amazing. The Greek, again, apart from the Jew, the woman of Samaria simply believed Jesus Christ in John 4. She was saved. The Jews were half-breeds, detested by, by, the, by the Jew. The Jew thought the Gentiles were made just to kindle the fires of hell. Wow. The people in Samaria, the Samaritans, they heard the gospel through Philip in Acts 8. They accepted the Lord. They were saved. The house of Cornelius received the word of God as Peter was preaching in Acts 10. They got saved. Jew first, Gentile. First in terms of priority and privilege, not superiority. The first Christians were all Jewish. They were persecuted. Then it opened up to the Gentile. The gospel reached Antioch. And it was from there that the Gentile church launched the three missionary journeys in Acts 11. And then in Acts 13, 1 to 4, the Holy Spirit spoke, says, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work of the ministry which I have called them. There's the key, ladies and gentlemen. Don't miss it. The Holy Spirit calls and sends out those he wants to use in missions and work. If the church sends them out, they'll be ineffective. If they obey the calling of spirit, they will be effective. They won't be trusting their money. They won't be begging for money. If God has called you to go, go. You'll be effective. If man sends you, even though he sends you with money, you will be ineffective. Are we clear on this? We never pressure you for money. We never have. We never will. Pastor Chuck Smith said, where God guides, he provides. And that's the way we live. Now, not all Calvary chapels are like that anymore. The day, wants to shut, the day God wants to shut this thing down, it's up to him. All I'm going to do is continue to teach you, and I let God take care of the finances. I don't worry about that. I don't know what you give. I don't know who gives. I don't even care. God is able to drop all kinds of money if you're all disobedient. If he wants this thing to go on. Are we clear on this? All right? It is his church, not ours, ladies and gentlemen. Not ours at all. So the condition of all men and women is the same. There is none righteous, no, not one. No, not even you. Romans 3.10. <laughs> it's a one-sided telephone conversation. Paul could hear somebody who said, no, not even you. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. All are dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.1 and 2. Without God, all are without hope. Ephesians 2.12-16. Man, every other system that tells you you're good, 
Tell them to finish the sentence. You're good for nothing. It's hopeless. Anybody who points you to yourself is an enemy of you. He's your enemy. Any person that points you to Christ, they love you. They love you. They know you need some help. I need help. I continue to need help. That's why he's staying close to Jesus Christ. Now the service to the sinner is a call to repentance. Make, make sure you don't miss this. Repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is in view of one's own sin against God. First, not man. This is the primary offense of man. Now David sinned with Bathsheba and sinned against Uriah killing him. Okay? But in Psalm 51 he says, Against you and only you have I sinned. Because my sin, first of all, is against God. Then with somebody or against somebody? Are we clear on this? But the vertical is the most important, once again. Repentance is a change of mind with a change of heart in life. Not like the world that brings forth regret, remorse, tears, because you hate the consequence. 2 Corinthians 7.10 But we see our sin against God and we truly see that our offense was against God, so we ask God forgiveness. That's godly Repentance. The evidence of godly repentance is you acknowledge your sin, you confess your sin, you abandon your sin, and when you can, it's not always possible, you make restitution if you can. That demonstrates true repentance, godly repentance. Faith is towards our Lord Jesus Christ, notice, faith in Him as the only sin offering, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now, who do you think got the best deal? Amazing. Faith in Him is to forgive me of all my sins according to the riches and grace of God. Ephesians 1 7 says, Faith is the proclamation of the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. That's why Paul the Apostle, in his great thesis of Romans, says in chapter 1 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation, the Jew first, then to the Gentile. Therein, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. Quoting Habakkuk 2, 4. It's Old Testament doctrine. Not new. And from that point on, he expounds the incredible power of the gospel. In chapter 1, he shows you the vicious perversion of man. Guilty before God. In chapter 2, he exposes those who say, I don't do that, but they get off on what they, they are doing. So he says, you're guilty before God. By the time you get to chapter 3, all men are guilty on their face before God. In chapter 4, he says, now you think Abraham came by faith? No. I mean, you think he came by works? No. He came by faith, so now Abraham's on the ground. By the time you get to the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5, now you're justified in Jesus Christ. In chapter 7, you get that view of Paul, that, that I don't want to do, I end up doing, that, that I end up doing, I don't want to do, or regimen that I am. He says, now Paul, you can't depend on yourself. You've got to depend on the Spirit of God. So chapter 7 is you still trust in yourself, your abilities, even though you're a Christian. You cannot accomplish the work of the Spirit in the flesh. So you must move to chapter 8, life from the Spirit. No condemnation of those in Christ Jesus. Chapter 9, 10, 11, he takes a little detour for Israel. They will be saved, the remnant at the end. Okay? We shouldn't be cocky about it, but he cut them off. He can cut us off. Ooh. So he finishes chapter 12. Present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Be not fashioned to this world system. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove it is that good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. What an incredible book. Then he gives you from that point all the practical applications, how you apply your Christianity. Amazing. Faith in him. To make me new. No one else. 
a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. All things pass away, everything becomes new, new in quality, new in kind. He is the only way. Jesus said in John 14.6, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father by me. He is the only name. Acts 4.12. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Not should, must. He is the one meter between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.5. He is the only Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. All of them. First, uh, John 1.29 and 1 John 2.2. He is the propitiation for our sins. Not ours alone, the Christian, but the whole world. So if you're a Calvinist, what are you going to do with that? If that was the only verse, what are you going to do with it? He died for our sins, Christians, and the whole world. He didn't die for the chosen frozen. He died for all. So every person, if you're here, you don't know Jesus Christ, or you're looking over the internet, or you're listening on the radio, somewhere in the world, you make your choice where you spend eternity based on what you agree with God about His Son, Jesus Christ. If you see Him as your sin offering, dying in your place, that rose from the dead, then you can call upon Him and He will save you. He will forgive you. And He will make you a child of God by grace through faith. You determine where you spend eternity. Oh, what would men and women give right now this instant who are in hell to hear the gospel one more time? Anybody who gives you hope after death is a liar and a deceiver. You make your reservations for vacation before you leave. Not afterwards. The picture of a herald is used throughout the New Testament. A herald was a man that was called and hired by the state to proclaim publications, whatever. The message was not theirs, it was given to them. The authority was not theirs, it was vested to them. They were only responsible for the proclamation. They were not responsible for the response to the proclamation. You and I are the same. The message is not ours. It's a message from heaven. The authority is not ours. It's vested to us as children of God. And we are responsible only to proclaim it. We are not responsible for the response of the people who hear the gospel. We pray that they respond. And we pray that they respond. And if they reject, we continue to pray. But I'm not responsible for your response. Wow. The love of God is unconditional for man. John 3.16, you know that. But the benefits of God's love is not unconditional. It's conditional. John 3.36. He who has a son has life. He who has not the son has not life. And the wrath of God abides in him. Repentance. Salvation is conditional. Ready? Repent. If you don't repent, there's no salvation. It's simple. The love of God through the preaching of the gospel can forgive any sin. There's no sin that God cannot forgive. We are to be known by God's love. By this shall I know that you're my disciples if you have loved one for another. John 13, 34 through 35. Where are you at this morning? Are you saved or are you lost? You can change that right now. The pastor service here, 30 to the sinner. If you're a sinner, you can be saved right now. The heart of Paul was revealed as he expressed the priorities of the pastor here in his service to the gospel. Service to God, service to the church, service to sinners. Do not put off salvation. Today the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Call on his name right now. He will forgive you. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. We love you. We thank you. We pray you just deal with our hearts. Thank you for every person here and over the internet and radio, Lord. We pray that you would continue to use your word to just save people, Lord. Bring them into your kingdom as we see the day approaching. And Lord, we see your mercy being poured out. 
As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. If you're here, you don't need us. You just call on the Lord right now. Say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. I want to accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your love. In Jesus' name.